That worship was awesome, was it not? Man, powerful. Hope everyone had a good Selah. It's always great the first Sunday after a Selah, isn't it, to come back in the house of God with the people of God and uh, just worship Him together. Silence. Do you ever feel like God is silence, silent in your life, like He's not speaking to you? I think maybe we've all felt that at different times and stages. Maybe that's where you're at today. The Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, and the New Testament begins with the book of Matthew. At the end of the book of Malachi, that last period, until the beginning of the first letter of Matthew, that historically, that period of blank space represents 400 years. 400 years has passed between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. And scholars have labeled this period of time 400 years of silence. Because that we know of, God did not speak to his people through a prophet during those 400 years. God was supposedly silent. When you close the book of Malachi, you find a nation of people who are in love with idolatry. They want to worship the idols and the gods of the people around them. They're in love with their culture more than they're in love with the one true God. They want to live by man's law, not God's law. But when you start the book of Matthew, 400 years later, you find a nation of people who are searching and worshiping for one true God. And they're out to destroy every hint of idolatry, although very legalistic. When you open the New Testament to the book of Matthew, you discover an entirely different atmosphere, an entirely different world. The center of power has now shifted from that of Babylonia and Persia to now Rome, who's dominating the world landscape. Their legions are spread out through all the known world at that time, conquering the known civilized world. At the close of Malachi, there are no religious and political parties But when you get to Matthew, the Jews are rioting under this Roman oppression. In Matthew, you find a number of opposing religious and political parties, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Essenes, the Zealots. When you close Malachi, there are no synagogues. But when you open Matthew, there are synagogues in almost every Jewish town, nearly 70 synagogues in Jerusalem. In Malachi, the spiritual leaders are the priests. But in Matthew, they're the rabbis. A lot has happened in 400 years of so-called silence. Obviously, what I'm trying to say is I don't believe God was silent in that period of time. He may not have spoken to a prophet to his people, but God was still moving big time, creating this stage and preparing the world for the arrival of his son, Jesus. See, I think that we've mislabeled or maybe misunderstood these so-called silent years. Because here's one thing I know. God is never silent. He is always working. You may not feel like it, but the thing is we just don't hear him. See, those people in Matthew that were actively looking for the Messiah, most of them did not recognize God himself in flesh that was walking right beside them, right among them, stirring up things in their very midst. They were looking for him, but they didn't see him. 
Isaiah 41.4 says this, Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. Summoning each new generation. See, there's never been a generation and there never will be a generation that God has not summoned, that God has not called forth. That's what summoning means there. He calls forth each new generation from the beginning of time until now. God is not silent. He is speaking. The real question is, are we listening? God is never silent. He he is always speaking. But here's the thing. In order for us to hear him effectively, we are the ones that need to be silent. How many of you have small children either now, currently, or in the past? Okay, most of you. So many questions, right? Dad, 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 mom, 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 mom. See this, dad? Watch this, mom. Can I have this, dad? Uh, Can I do this one, mom? What does this mean? Mom, watch me do that one-handed cartwheel off the couch. Dad, did you see that goal I scored on the video? Did you see that? Did you see it? Did you see it? Yes, son, I saw that. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Let me rewind it for you, son. Or dad, let me rewind it for you. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Who invented the ability to rewind a video game? That's like three versions of life away from actual reality. Who knew that so much noise could come from such little people? But see, I think you and I do the same thing to our Heavenly Father. Whether we verbalize it or not, we say, God, 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 did you, did you see that thing I did, that good thing I did right there? Jesus, did you see that cup of cold water that I gave sort of, sort of to that guy in the corner, like sort of in your name? Did you see it? Did you see it? And he, sa- he says, yeah, trust me. Unlike you, I am fully engaged with my children. I am fully listening to you, my son, my daughter. But, but here's what I want. What I really want is for you to close your mouth and just for like small segments of time for you to listen to me, what I have to say to you. Just once for you to be silent and listen to the words that I want to speak into your life, to speak over your heart, to be still for a moment and allow me, a me to pour into your life. Because if we can somehow listen to his voice, if we can stop and be silent for moments of time, I guarantee you it will revolutionize your life. Would you pray with me before we go any further? Jesus, thank you for this thing called silence. Thank you for the ability to shut our mouths and to to choose to listen to your voice. Thank you for what you're going to teach us in this series. God, I pray that we would choose right now to, to let the distractions cease to be present right here and right now in this moment, to be fully engaged with, with what you're trying to speak into our heart. Maybe not to be distracted by, by the person to the left or the right or in front or behind us, but would we focus on what you have to say to our lives individually? Because our ability to be silent can change our lives. And then if our own lives change, then we can impact others. And if we can impact others, then the kingdom of God advances and moves forward. That is our prayer this morning, and all God's people said, amen.
If you're taking notes, and I'd highly encourage you to do so, whether it's on phone, your phone or a paper, uh, I've titled this message, From Silence to Shouting. From Silence to Shouting. See, all of our lives, we're shouting something. Your life, my life, we shout something with our lives. The way we talk, the way we walk, the way we, our attitudes are, what we do. Our lives are about something. Our lives are shouting something. But the question is, what is your life shouting about? And I think we're going to discover that here today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. One of the best stories in the Old Testament, one of my favorites, the Battle of Jericho, Joshua 6. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. Remember that. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, assign seven priests to walk in front front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Remember that. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. And this is what Joshua told the people. I want you to pay attention. He said to the people, do not shout. Do not even talk. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. Joshua commanded the people to be silent as they marched around the city. Do not even talk, he said, not a single word until I tell you to shout, until you hear the signal of the long ram's horn being sounded. And when I tell you to shout, though, you better holler. You better shout it down. You better be shouting in that moment. See, I believe that God wants us to start our lives with silence and end with shouting. Every day of our life should start with silence and end with shouting. Every battle that we face should start with silence but end with shouting. Every enemy that we fight should start with silence but end in a shout of victory. See, there's a lot more going on to this story than meets the eye. And for us to truly understand what's going on here, we have to back up a little bit, gain some perspective, gain some altitude, and understand the backdrop of this battle of Jericho. But if we truly understand it, I believe this has major implications and applications for each of our lives. We start with silence, and we end with shouting. So the Israelites, remember, they had been wandering around in the wilderness. That first generation of Israelites that left uh, Egypt in the Exodus, they had died. They had disobeyed the Lord, and uh, they were not allowed to see the promised land. 
So this generation that crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land, this was the new generation. This was their sons and their daughters. And God was going before them. He's already won the victory for them. But listen to me, they still had to fight. They still had to take each step towards victory. And the same is true with you and me. Jesus has won your victory, yes, but you still need to swing your sword. God has gone before you, but you still need to take the steps. And if you didn't know today, you're in a battle. Your fight and my fight, it's, it's not about against the person next to you. It's not against any person wrapped in flesh and has blood coursing through their body. Your fight and my fight is against something darker, against principalities and powers. And if you're not aware of this battle that's going on, then you're likely losing the battle. Because your enemy, the devil, he wants to blind you and deafen you to the fact that there even is a battle. But the most important part of winning a battle is not the actual fight itself. The most important part to winning the battle is the preparation before the fight. That's where the victory happens, in the silence. See, in order for you and I to have victory in our lives, there's some daily preparations that we need to take, some daily disciplines that we need to apply to each of our lives. And there's three steps of silence that Joshua and the Israelites took in order to prepare them to win the battle of Jericho. These three steps of silence are the same steps that you and I can take in our lives to win our victories, to win our battles. See, silence doesn't get much press. Silence isn't noticeable. Silence isn't sexy. But silence will win the battle. Before the shouting of victory can ever happen, we need to be taking these steps of silence. So write these down. Three steps of silence. The first step of silence is surgery surgery. If we back up one chapter from Joshua 6 to Joshua 5, starting in verse 2, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. See, all the Israelites that had left Egypt, the the men, they had been circumcised in Egypt. But the second generation, their sons in the wilderness, they had never been circumcised. And so the Lord commanded Joshua, circumcise the second generation circumcise the sons that have taken their father's place now. And it says, after all the males were circumcised, they rested in the camp. Great idea. Until they were healed. Rest is important. So what does that mean for us? In Jeremiah, it says, circumcise your hearts. See, we must always be cutting back on our hearts to create more room for him. Less of us, more of him. And this is a continual process. And guess what? It's going to hurt. It's not pretty. It's going to cost you something. But it's also going to bring you victory. See, when the Israelites, that first generation, they hardened their hearts in the wilderness. And because of that, they weren't allowed to go into the promised land. There was an entire generation that was lost. That just wandered around. When God had already won the victory for it, all they had to do was step into it. So you and I, we must do surgery every day, heart surgery, open heart surgery. Cut the junk and the funk that grows in there. Cut that out of our lives. Expose our hearts to Jesus. If we don't, 
our hearts will get hard and we'll never be able to hear the voice of Jesus. You cannot hear the voice of Jesus when your heart is hard. Pride is a killer. It's something that all of us deal with. We have to constantly, every day, be doing surgery, cutting away at that junk in our lives. Romans 2.29 says it best. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not people. That is powerful. The first step of silence is surgery. Second step of silence is seeking. Joshua 5.9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. That is awesome. Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. See, just like the Israelites, our shame, our slavery has been rolled away. When Jesus emerged from that tomb on the third day and the stone was rolled away, when he conquered death that should have been yours on the cross, he rolled away your shame. He conquered your slavery. You no longer have to live in the wilderness. You no longer have to live in the land of shame and slavery. Today is a new day. Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Some of you need to claim that verse. See, God's moving you on. There's no shame. There's no guilt because of your past if you know Jesus, if you've accepted what he's done for you on the cross. He's saying, keep on moving. I've got a new land for you. You don't have to live in that old land. If you know Jesus, you don't have to camp out in the wilderness. You can cross over the Jordan to a new land. But so many of us are are comforted or something by the past. Matthew 7, 7 says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And you'll receive. And you'll find. The doors will be open for you. It doesn't mean that life is easy. The victory has been won, but we still need to take the steps. So many Christians are living in the past. They revert to a wilderness mindset, and it's so easy to sulk in our shame, isn't it? We've all done it. It's so easy to get stuck on our past. It's so easy to get stuck on what happened yesterday. But God says, no, move on. Keep stepping forward. I've got victory for you. Verse 10, when the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Remember manna? Manna was the miracle bread that God sent down for them in the wilderness. So every day they'd be sustained. They had something to eat. It was an absolute miracle. But now they've crossed over to a new land. And God says, I don't have the old miracle for you. I've got a new thing for you. I've got new bread for you. And some of you... Some of you are holding on to past miracles. Don't get me wrong. We need to praise God and always remember, set up stones of remembrance for the miracles that he's done in the past. But yesterday's bread will not feed you today. God is always looking for something new to do in and through us. Manna, yes, was a miracle, but it was old. It was time for some new bread. And God says, seek me first. Not second, not third, not fourth. First. 
Seek first. We have to be looking for that bread that he's giving us every day and eating his word, which is the bread of life. You cannot live on yesterday's manna. You need some new bread, and he's got it for you today, but it requires you to seek. He says, seek me and you'll find me. Here's my challenge to you. What area of your life are you not seeking him first in? That's a tough question to answer. That's a hard question for me to answer. There's areas in all of our lives that we're not putting him first, and he says, put me first, seek me first, and then all of these things will be added unto you. Second step of silence is seeking. The third step step of silence is solitude. Solitude. Verse 13, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, here they are, they're getting closer to the battle. He's near the town of Jericho. He looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. It was Jesus. And at this, Joshua fell on his face and to the ground in reverence. He says, I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? And Jesus said this to him. He said, take off your sandals because the place you are standing is holy ground. Joshua met with Jesus alone in solitude. He fell on his face in reverence. See, you and I have an opportunity to do this every single day. I think we rush around so much with our crazy lives that we forget that the glory of the Lord fills the entire earth, like the part that you're walking in, that I'm walking in every day. The glory of the Lord is there. He is there. He is walking beside you. And there's these sacred moments, these holy moments that we run past every day because we're so busy and because we don't recognize that Jesus is standing right in front of us trying to communicate with us. And in our busyness, hear me, in our busyness, we miss the holiness of that moment. When is the last time that you scheduled some solitude with Jesus? Just you and him. I know it's not easy. I know you have young kids. I know your schedule's crazy. But listen to me, easy does not win the victory. Maybe you simply need to get up 15 minutes earlier. I'm preaching to myself. We need solitude with Jesus. You're not going to win the battle without it. Daily solitude. You need the word for today, that manna for today. Maybe you just need to schedule 10 minutes in your basement, away from everything. Leave your phone where, where you can't find it. Turn it off. Throw it away. Maybe you need to shut yourself in the closet. This can revolutionize your life. We need to get on our face before our creator on a regular basis in solitude, in silence, and listen and slow down because we won't be able to recognize the sacred moments, the holy moments, if we're just rushing around and busy. Joshua said, what do you want your servant to do? Jesus says, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. I think Jesus is telling us, take off your running shoes. Slow down. Stop what you're doing. Put the car keys away. You're rushing around too much. There's places that you and I rush by and drive by every day that are holy moments, sacred opportunities. 
and we don't see them because we're running so fast. And Jesus is in those moments. He's saying, pay attention. Be silent. Listen to what I'm trying to do through you. So the third step of silence is solitude. Surgery seeking solitude. So now Joshua and the Israelites, they're standing in front of the gates of Jericho. And they're prepared. They've been practicing these steps of silence. They've done the surgery. They've been seeking him. Joshua had gotten alone in solitude with Jesus, and now these imposing gates of the city are in front of them. And the Lord tells Joshua, he says, I've gone before you. I've given you the city. I've given you its king. I've given you its warriors. The victory is yours, but you still have to walk. You're going to have to take the steps. Here's what you're going to do, Joshua. You and your fighting men, you're going to march around the city once a day for six days. And there's going to be seven priests that go ahead of you with the ark, which is, remember, the presence of God is going ahead of them. And each priest, they'll carry this ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you'll march around Jericho seven times. And the priests will continuously blow their horns. And that's when Joshua told the people, do not shout. Do not even talk. Because he wanted them to be listening to the sound of the ram's horns. He said, not a single word from any one of you until I tell you to shout. Then when you hear that long blast of the ram's horn, when I give you the signal, then you better shout that city down. See, the ram's horns, we have to understand the significance of what they are. The ram's horns is known as a shofar. And the shofar has two, has, has two different significances. The first and major significance is they signify the victory that God has over sin and death. Remember when Abraham brought his son Isaac, uh, obeying God, uh, uh, God said, you, you need to offer your son as a sacrifice to me on Mount Moriah. He brings him up there. He ties him down. He's ready with the knife to strike Isaac, and the angel stops him and says, whoa, stop, Abraham. You've obeyed God, but now we have a substitute. And he looked over into the bushes, and there was a ram caught with its horns in the bushes. That was the substitute sacrifice for Isaac. The same is true with you and me. Jesus was our lamb, our substitute sacrifice. He took the punishment that should have been yours. He took the death that should have been mine. He was our, our ram, our lamb of God. And so when that ram's horn sounded, the sound of that horn, it signified God's victory. God's going before them. In Numbers 10, 9, uh, God told Moses, he says, When you go to war in your land against an adversary who is oppressing you, you are to sound an alarm with the trumpets. That's the shofar, the ram's horn. Then you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. The second meaning of the shofar is that it's an awakening of the soul. It's this idea that your soul has been sleeping, and when you hear the sound, it's, it's a cry to wake you up like an alarm clock wakes you up in the morning. And the sound of the shofar, that sound calls, is a call to return to the Lord and to seek his face. It's saying, when you hear that, it's saying, wake up, examine yourself, remember your creator, and return to him. It's a call of repentance. 
Ephesians 5.4, Paul uses this imagery. He says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So Joshua was saying to the people, be silent as you march around. Listen to the sound of the victory that God is going to bring you. Listen to the sound of returning to your creator. Wake your soul up. Listen to the ram's horns. Listen for that alarm. But in order to hear it, you have to be silent. Return to his presence. And then when I give you the signal, you can step into victory and shout. Do not shout. Do not even talk. Not a single word from any one of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. And when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, And God saw Joshua's signal. They shouted as loud as they could. And you know the story. The walls came crashing down. And God brought them the victory that he promised. And they charged into Jericho and captured the town. See, this is why we must start with silence. But end with shouting. Our lives have to start with silence. To get it right in here. And then shout God's victory. If you have your phone with you today, take it out for just a moment. We're going to create our own shofars. Turn to your alarm section and set an alarm for, if you can label it, call it silence, call it shofar. Set your alarm, a daily alarm, for 15 minutes before you'd normally get up every morning. And it's going to be up to you. I've, I've set mine. Tomorrow morning, you're either going to hit snooze or you're going to hear that alarm and you're going to seek God first. You're going to spend some time in solitude with him. You're going to do some heart surgery. This could change your life. This is a modern-day shofar if you use it correctly. Does that make sense? Our lives must start with silence in order to end with the shout of victory. And you cannot take, you cannot experience those shouts of victory without taking first the steps of silence. See, God is never silent. We're just usually so loud that we can't hear him. It's us that need to be silent so we can first hear the voice of God. Your life is shouting something, but what is it shouting? If you want to shout about Jesus, then you have to first live in the silence in order to shout about his name. I'm going to end with this. Isaiah 40 is a prophecy about John the Baptist proclaiming the way for Jesus. That first real prophet after Malachi in Matthew that proclaimed the way. This is prophetic about him, but it's also prophetic about you and me. This is what our lives should be shouting. It starts out in verse 3. God says, listen. Silence. Listen to what I'm telling you. Start with silence. Listen. It's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys. Level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough 
places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Get up on your feet. That's what our lives should be shouting. Your God is coming. But you can't do that unless you start with silence. When you start with silence, you can shout it louder. When you listen to his voice first, then you can shout it louder. When you've cut all the junk and done the surgery of your heart, then you can shout it louder. When you seek him first in every area of your life, then you can shout it louder. When you take time alone with him in solitude, then you can shout it louder. Who wants to shout his name louder in their lives? Anybody here today? Come on. See, it's not about you anymore. It's never been about you. You're just a reflection of him. You reflect his love. You shout his name. You promote his name. You live under his name. Shout it louder. Shout it louder. Shout it louder. Your God is coming. Father God, we thank you for the silence. We thank you for the silence. God, help us to apply this to our lives. Where we can end with a shout of victory. Thank you for the silence, God. Pray that every person in this place would be silent enough to listen for the alarm, to do the surgery that they need to do daily on their hearts, that we would seek you first in every area of our lives, that we would spend that time in solitude with you. Even though it's not easy, we know it will result in victory, that we would listen for the sound of the shofar, the alarms, that we would get up early, stay up late, spend time with you, God, so that our silence can turn to shouting, that all of our lives would proclaim your name, that we would shout it louder, that our God is coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.